Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. How's everyone doing today? Welcome back to On The Ball. Welcome back to another review of the Premier League, which is the follow-on from our prediction show where we make predictions for each and every Premier League game of the weekend. And as you can see, the scoring system, 291 to Sim, 300 to me. And the way the scoring works, it's five points for a completely correct score. Now, one point for a correct result. And the star man, once you pick that man, you can't pick them again for the rest of the season. And it's five points for a goal, two points for an assist. Let's get into the weekend's action, starting off at Villa Park as Villa beat Nottingham Forest by four goals to two. Sim went for 1-1. I went for 2-1. So I take a point on the board for this one. Um, I mean, Villa started this game on fire, didn't they? Um, absolutely tearing Nottingham Forest to shreds. And then um, the second half was a completely different story. Nottingham Forest came back into it, got two goals back, but it just wasn't enough, wasn't it? And uh, Aston Villa went on to win the game by four goals to two. Yeah, they actually pulled one back around the stroke of halftime mm. in that first half. It was 3-0. And to be fair, I was watching the game. Villa were very impressive in the opening exchanges. Whenever they went forward, um, they looked like they were going to score every single time. Um, Forest seemed to have no answer. To be fair, the goals they did score, obviously Leon Bay, did really well on the right-hand side, Sarah Polly Watkins. And then the other two goals, I believe, were from... Um, well, actually, the second goal was actually a really good team goal. And then the third one was a cross, which was headed home from Douglas Ruiz. What I would say is in that opening exchanges... Forest, if they were a lot, if they were a bit better on the ball, they had so many openings, but they just seemed to be uh, lacking in um, coordination with the front four. I think it's the first time potentially that front four of like played together, like from the start, and it was a very attacking lineup from Forest: Alanga, Morgan Gibbs, White, Carl Callum, and Awioni. So I was looking at that thinking, you know, Villa's higher high line, maybe they can uh, put them under pressure, but it didn't really happen until that second half. And to be fair, they got the goal back, Forest. And then straight after halftime, Morgan Gibbs-White scores a lovely goal after Origi sets him up. And then straight after that, Origi goes through one-on-one and he has a chance to make it 3-3. And he skews it wide. And then within a few minutes, um, Villa hit them back for 4-2. So if that goal goes in... Uh, uh, to make it 3-3 could have been a very different story and at halftime Pau Torres went off Callum Chambers comes on and all of a sudden Villa looked like they're under the cosh when they made it 3-2 looked like Forrest might get back into the game but to be fair to Villa they got the fourth and to be fair for the last well, like half an hour or so however long there was after the goal they weren't too troubled apart from a few half chances for Villa there. Yates had one more chance to make it 4-3 and if he would have done that maybe they could have got back in the game but Villa will definitely deserve, feel like they deserve the victory and it was a good performance overall but definitely still signs of vulnerability at the back. Ollie Watkins carrying on his unbelievable form this season with another goal. But the player I want to highlight is Douglas Louise once again at Villa Park. He's just a different animal, isn't he? Two goals in this game. I think he's scored the most goals out of anyone, any midfielder in the Premier League this season mm. um, at home. And what a season he's having. Yeah, he's really become an outstanding Premier League midfielder. And I think he's really shown his ability. He's always been a player who can, you know, get a good strike off from the edge of the box and stuff. But he's really shown that ability this season to make 
make those late runs into the penalty area and have that finishing ability as well. Now he's not just becoming, he was known as a bit more of a six and now he's, you know, known as maybe an eight, a very, very good number eight who can get on the end of a lot. You know, that's why Arsenal wanted him so badly a year ago or so. And when they were seeing that now is he was actually a player who's played for Man City as well. But um, obviously he never made the grade. He's been absolutely exceptional for Aston Villa this season, so underrated. Um, and also Leon Bailey. I mean, Everyone was talking about Diaby when he signed in the summer. Bailey's really just taken his spot off him, and no, and there's been no looking back. He's been exceptional past few games. I think now, um, I think it's over. Uh, I think in all competitions, it's ten goals, eleven assists for him this season. Which, considering last season, a lot of people wanted him sold. He actually nearly left in the summer, mm. and look at him now, absolutely flying. So, what a season he is having as yeah, well. Yeah, brilliant player, Leon Bailey. But we move on to the Amex. It was finished. Brighton one, Everton one. Sim went for two nil to Everton. I went for nil nil. Which I was actually close, close to it. it was Neil Hill going to the last 15 minutes, but then Branthwaite scored, I think, on the 15 minute mark or, or close to. And then Brighton got a late, late, late equaliser with Lewis Dunk in the 95th minute of the game. Um, I didn't really see much of this game, but from the highlights, it looked like it was kind of a game that you expected it to be with Bournemouth having a Brighton, sorry, having all the play, all the possession, and then Everton trying to hit them on the counter attack pretty much. Yeah, I think. Everton actually didn't have a shot on target until like the 60th minute or so when Decore um, put a really good volley, which was clear off the line. But it was literally, I wouldn't say literally a carbon copy of last year because last year Everton had a bit more chances on the breakaway. But in terms of... Last how, year it finished 5-1. Yeah, it finished 5-1. But in terms of the game state... <clears throat> um, Brian had a lot of possession. They were literally camped in, in Everton's box, let alone their half, for a lot of the game. But to be fair to Everton, whenever they did... Uh, were able to break away from Brighton. They were looking very, very dangerous. And they were, I think, well, look, I was watching the game. I thought they deserved the lead. Brighton just couldn't create any really good quality opportunities. They were, they, they had a lot of uh, kind of half chances, but Everton defended impeccably. And I thought they uh, didn't do it as much as last season, but they were able to exploit Brighton on the breakaway on a fair bit, a fair um, amount of times. And of and the goal they scored, uh, Brathway, what an absolute stunner from him. Yeah. Left foot, left foot, edge of the area from a centre-back as well ball falls to him from a set piece and he just absolutely smacks it into the top top bins what a finish from him and you know adds to uh, why a lot of people are talking about him as one of the best young centre-backs in the Premier League and, I, and at that point Everton won it up, defended very well for a lot of the game. And then Billy Gilmore gets himself deservedly sent off for a really horrible challenge on Onada. I thought over the top, I thought it was a red card. Uh, don't think he can have any complaints. And so Everton facing against 10 men for the last few minutes and one nil up, you know, you expect them to go on and finish it. They did have a couple of chances to finish it, didn't take them. And they got hit. Passal Gross crossed it in. Lewis Dunk with a great header. But if you're Everton, um, you're kicking yourself a bit because you're one nil up against 10 men and you couldn't see the job through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it'll be a kick of the teeth for um, for Everton to not to win that game and get the three points on the board. Branthwaite, by the way, if Everton are going through FFP problems this summer, or even if they go down this summer, like there's going to be a lot of suitors out for him. He is a top, top talent, in my opinion. But we need to talk about Evan Ferguson because it's another game. Every time he starts up front for Brighton, they just seem toothless. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's he's just look. He's only eighteen, nineteen. He's going. Maybe he's going for one of those periods. He set those heights, didn't he? he? Huh? Sorry. He set those heights. He set those bars where he played at earlier mm. on the season, getting that hat trick last season. Every time he played, he seemed to have scored. 
Yeah, but I even remember, maybe not to this extent, but I remember Harry Kane had that amazing season when he when he first started out, and then the following season he went a lot. I think ten games in the first ten mm. games of the season without a goal, lacking confidence, and then he found his feet again. So look, nineteen years of age, he's going to have a great career. I'm sure of it. I don't think the beforehand was just a purple patch. I think he proved it over a fairly sustained period of time that this guy has got really good ability for for his age. You got to remember how young he is. Uh, yeah, he's going for a really bad uh, run of form at the moment, but. It's just at this age, you're just figuring yourself out. Yeah, he burst onto the scene and now maybe he's slowed down a bit, but he's got all the qualities to be a very good number nine in this league. I think he showed it enough times. So although he's gone through now quite a long spell, I think, probably has he scored since that hat-trick even? I don't even know. I think know. maybe one goal since Yeah, then. so he's, he has really struggled, but the guy's 19. You've got to give him some uh, some patience. Yeah, I know. I'd agree with that. It's just like a bit concerning the form that he's on. But yeah, players of that age do go through ups and downs for sure. But we move on to Selhurst Park in Glasner's first game in charge of Crystal Palace. It finished three goals to nil against Burnley, um, against a very lackluster Burnley, to be honest. Sim went for three nil. I went for one nil. Um, in the first half, I mean, Palace had all the possession, had all the chances, but they weren't creating any real clear-cut chances. I think they had an XG of like 0.5 or something in that first half. And that sending off really changed things in terms of the way Kralit Palace would be able to create. They really took the sword to uh, Burnley after that um, sending off and they won the game by 3-0 and really deservedly so. Yeah, and the Palatines will be absolutely delighted with Glasner's first game. I thought they definitely deserved the victory uh, throughout. I thought um, even in the first half, they created a few opportunities mainly from set pieces which Trafford had to be his best to keep out he had a quite a busy game and then I thought look I, I gave a, a praise to Trafford but what is he doing for that goal he gives it to Brownhill in a really bad position Brownhill as well I don't know what he's doing instead of coming towards the ball and dealing with the trouble he tries to like um he tries to shield Lerma from the ball and Lerma's just stronger than him. He gets in ahead of him. It's his definite foul, his strong goal. Has to be a red card at that point and the game plan is out the window at that point. And then... Um Palace were piling on the pressure. It was chance after chance, especially in that second half. And you always felt as soon as it, as soon as they got one goal, there were going there was going to be a flurry that came, and that's exactly what happened. Obviously, Richards scored the first, and then um, you got. And I have to give credit to uh, the youngster Franca, who came off the bench, who looked really really bright. And Palace fans have been banging. I've I've seen a few uh, Palace videos about it. They've been banging on about this kid who just Hodgson is not given a look in, even when. Eze and Olise have been out injured. They, they, he, he's refused to give an opportunity apart from literally like at the end of games, like a few minutes here. And Glasner in his first game brings him on for half an hour and look what a difference he made. He got the, a brilliant assist for the first goal, took on a couple of players, put it across the face of goal, Ayu taps home and then wins the penalty for the third goal as well after being brought down after leading the counter-attack and showing what exactly he can bring. So this young Brazilian winger potentially could be a really have a really bright future especially now glass is at hel the helmet palace and i thought they massively deserved the victory so a really good start from from burley's point of view game plan went out the window as soon as they were down to 10 men and they had no answer and there was another toothless display from them yeah it really was uh jordan are you going for a bit of a purple patch at the moment mm. i think he scored three or four goals in a row um in, in, in as many games but I think with Burnley and especially with James Trafford, I personally went into this season thinking James Trafford is um, a really good up and coming keeper. And he's still young, I think, in terms of uh, what a goalkeeper is in the Premier League and when, when you make your name in the Premier League and stuff like that. But I don't really think he's Premier League quality at the moment. I think time and time again, his passing's letting him down out the back, especially with the football that Burnley want to play. 
Um, they need a, someone better playing out the back than uh, a James Trafford. And I'm, su- I'm surprised. Maybe they don't have anyone waiting in the wings that's better than him, but he lets them down time and time again. That's the honest truth. Yeah, I'd, I feel bad because I don't think he's the only one culpable. I think their their defense in general is you know really poor. I don't think he's the only one not good enough, but I definitely think he's definitely lumped in there. And as much as he makes some good saves, I just feel like he's not strong enough on so many occasions, and uh, he gets found out a lot. So I do think maybe in a few years you know he'll be a bit better. But I think maybe signing him now to be a number one in the Premier League. I think if Burnley had a bit more of a experienced keeper, it'll it'll be a bit better for them well it could be though it could be a good learning curve for us for a young keeper playing a full season in the Premier League like this but I feel like going back down to the championship next season staying as their number one keeper will probably be more to his level to Mm. be honest but uh, let's go to Old Trafford as Man United lost by two goals to one to Fulham Sim went for 2-1 I went for 2-1 both in the hands of Manchester United but I think we both expected Rasmus Hoyland to play and no Hoyland, no party for Man United. And Fulham, I think, fully deserved this three points. Um, they went 1-0 up. What was it? With half an hour to go, 25 minutes to go with Calvin Bassey. And then Harry Maguire scores just before the 90th minute mark. And you're thinking, oh, are they being saved once again? But up steps Adama Traore, up steps Iwobi, and Fulham win it at the death yeah, and Fulham were brilliant throughout the throughout the whole game, to be fair. Apart from maybe that late spell where Man United rallied a bit and did get that equaliser. I thought Fulham were really dominant, were really were the ones creating the chances. Every time Man United went forward, Fulham were just hitting them and then those transitions time and time and time again. The likes of Pereira, Iwobi operating um, in those half spaces. And Casemiro and Kobe Mane were absolutely nowhere to be seen. Carragher did a really good analysis about... Man United not sure, not being sure what they want to do. Do they want to be a team that pushes high? Do they want to be a team that sits in a deep block? And that's why there's such a big gap between the defence and midfield. And that's where we're seeing exploited week in, week out. And it was definitely exploited in this game. The only shame for Fulham is they didn't really make the most of the chances that they created. Wobi missed a couple of sitters. Munez hit the post. Um, Pereira forced some really good saves out of um, Onana as well. So they were, especially when Maguire scored, Fulham were definitely at that point probably kicking themselves about seeing as they had all these chances and they couldn't put Man United to bed. But credit to Fulham. Um, at, the t- at the point where it did turn 1-1 when Maguire scored, um, you know, logic would state Man United were going to come and finish stronger. They, how many late finishes have they had this season, Man United? So the fact that Fulham decided to not let that affect them, not let that script be written and go up the other end and actually score themselves. Adama Traoré with a brilliant breakaway and Awobi, who was guilty of a few misses, was the one to pop up with the winner. And they got the three points they absolutely deserved. It was a brilliant win for Fulham. But from Man United's point of view, yeah, they absolutely lacked a focal point of Hoyland. Uh, they had no physical presence up front. Rashford didn't seem happy at all. Um, the new kid who played on the right, I can't even remember his name. He was pretty anonymous throughout the game. Kobe Mainu put in one of his weakest displays I've seen um, in a Man United shirt. It was just a shambles all round, to be honest, that they were second best. Deserve, and this is Fulham at home, you know. Surely you'd think in this kind of game, they should be dominating. They should be putting them to the sword. And it was anything but. And... With every every time Man United, you think you you think they're getting somewhere, and then this a result like this is always likely to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like the way you're right in what you're saying, Fulham definitely deserved the win when you're looking at the 90 minutes balance of play. But that goal they actually scored in the last minute was wildly against the run of play. I thought Man United finished the game really strongly um, and could have gone on to take all three points. But when you look at the balance of play, Fulham 
definitely deserved it. And Ten Hag and Man United uh, need to dust themselves off and pick themselves up once again uh, this season. And I always thought that with this form of Manchester United, I never thought they were playing well. I just felt like they were they were getting results. Um, and I've said it all along, all season, when when Man United play against quality that they lose and whenever they play against teams that they should be beating or maybe that have an off day on the day that's the only time that they win when they Mm -hmm. play against teams that come up on an off day and um, they caught Fulham on a really bad day for them because Fulham were absolutely brilliant so it was a deserved victory for Fulham Um, do you think Ten Hag lasts past the summer? No, I don't. I think they're gonna they're gonna switch him up. I, there's already murmurings that uh, Ineos um, are looking at potential replacements, and they're not convinced by him. There's also murmurings that the dressing room are very split on him. I think when it comes, unless everyone was unified, I just think. Also, uh, I think uh, owners, whenever they come into a new club, uh, whether it be in the first six months or very or straight away, they always change the manager. It happens every single time. They want their own guy in there. They want to get all the praise for hiring the manager um, and all the credit. So I think that's exactly what they're going to do. I do. I don't think there's any reason to sack him now, but I do think they will uh, sack him in the summer. Yeah. Um, serious contenders for the top four? No, I think I think they got Man City away next. Um, I just think uh, out of all the teams, they're the least consistent. They they have the least control. The Spurs don't have a lot of controlling games. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And Man United have less than that, so that's saying something. So I think they've had a mini kind of resurgence now. I just don't see them keeping up. They've had four wins in a row and they're still behind, even after four wins in a row. I think that tells me that unless they can keep going on that kind of form, they're not going to make it. I, I think they're going to start to falter again. So I, don't, I, I think they're going to finish sixth. If they do lose this weekend, which is more than likely against Manchester City, and then Spurs and Villa both pick up points, Spurs have got Palace at home, Villa go to Luton. I mean, there's probably no way back after that, is there? I mean, right now they're seven points away from Villa. They're only two points away from Spurs, but Spurs have a game in hand. So look, they're all they're still in it, I guess. But I let they I know, I want to see them put a, a more another run of consecutive wins, and I just don't see them doing that. Mm. Let's go to the vitality as Bournemouth lost by one goal to nil to Manchester City. I went for 3-1, Sim went for 2-1, both in the favour of Man City. Phil Foden getting on the score sheet. He is having, what a season he's having, by the way, probably the best season of his career so far. I think he's been absolutely brilliant each and every game, to be honest. I've watched him and I think... I think it was a deserved victory for Man City, but it was no by no stretch of the imagination a vintage Manchester City display. I think it's carried on a bit of a theme from their last three games where they've dominated games, they've created chances, but it's just not the Man City of old that we, we've been accustomed to seeing. Yeah, but Man City of old as well had these kind of games where they just have to see it out, not being their best, but they still get the three points. And I thought, to be fair, they were pretty good for about 
like 70 minutes where they were on top uh they were dominate they could have had more goals but didn't kill them off but when you don't kill off a good team like Bournemouth they're always allowed to have a little spell especially near the end to try and get in the get back in the game they did have that and it wasn't for a bit of luck it definitely could have snatched and equalized that header from the there that very tall striker I can't remember his name the new signing in January um he had a very good chance right right at the end with a really good header which only just uh, was a few inches wide um but Look, I think at the end of the day, City deserve the victory. They were better uh, throughout the game. But Bournemouth will, will feel proud that they went, took them all the way. They only lost by a goal and they could have nicked it right at the end and got a draw. So I think both sides will, will be happy. And I, but I think City, look, you've got to remember as well, City in this game, they didn't bring on Kevin De Bruyne because um, Pep said he was on the bench. But Pep said, even though they only won it up, he didn't want to risk him because he felt like they can see that the game without him and they want to keep him fresh. So... When you're doing that kind of stuff, right? So basically what he's saying is I'm holding back, but we're still winning. Mm. So once they stop holding back, they're going to be flying again. I think it was good enough display and, you know, they didn't have De Bruyne and he's going to be back next game. So I'm sure they'll be okay. Yeah, not bad holding back exactly. um, in the latter stages of February, is it, mm. uh, for Man City? But that's what you can afford to do maybe with the uh, amount of talent that they do have in their squad. But we move over to the Emirates. Arsenal 4, Newcastle 1, an absolutely another battering by Arsenal uh, in the, what's that, five in a row now, four in a row now for Arsenal. Uh, Form team in the Premier League. Sim went for 2-1, I went for 2-0. First half was an absolute show Arsenal put on. They were absolutely brilliant. Newcastle were terrible though, they really were. Um, Every week though, we seem to be saying it, that Arsenal, um, you know, are battering these teams, but the other team just don't show up. I'm not, I I don't know if it's like Arsenal being brilliant or the other team just being in crisis mode and um, just being really poor. But I thought, as well as however good Arsenal were in that first half, they'll score two set pieces on the day. The amount of set pieces they're scoring this season is crazy. And um, second half was actually a really boring game, to be honest. I thought first half was brilliant. Arsenal was sensational. But second half was kind of a non-event, kind of really boring. I have to give credit where credit's true because I've been critical of Arsenal for some of the football they've played this season in terms of all, like just not being at its fluid best. But I have to say, watching them, especially that first half, some of their football was absolutely exceptional. The quick interchanges, close to, players close to each other. And it's like they're zipping it about and you're like looking around and all of a sudden they're in on goal. And just, I just couldn't believe how quickly and how effectively they were able to manoeuvre it. And yeah, they did score two set pieces, but it wasn't for the lack of trying. They opened Newcastle up time and time again, pretty much whenever they went forward. Um, in fact, no, the second goal wasn't a set piece. It was Havertz who scored the second, wasn't it? Havertz the, the second, yeah. Yeah, with a pullback from Martinelli, which was another brilliant team move. Uh, the, they did uh, set the first pieces one. was Kibayor in the Botman own goal. Yeah, second half was two set pieces and the first no, one... first goal was a set piece and then the last goal was a set piece. Kirio was a set piece, but they were looked like a threat from set pieces whenever they had one and they were also um, completely dominant in open play, especially in the first half. Second half, Newcastle tried to up their game a bit, but it was a bit too little, too late and then Arsenal kind of picked them off. It was a very, very dominant display. I, I expected Newcastle... Even though their their midfield is a bit depleted, I expect them to have a bit more of the game than they did. Um, to be honest, because you still got Gordon, you got Isaac, got some good players there. The back four is still fairly solid. Um, so I thought, you know, they could be they can give them a bit of a game, but they were absolutely no match for this Arsenal side who absolutely blew them away. And if they're going to be in this kind of form from now to the end of the season, I have to say they're going to take some stopping because they were absolutely f- like it wasn't. Ju- First of all, they're barely conceding a chance, which that's been the case for a while now, and now they're starting to 
to really play some impressive football. And if if they marry those two things, because um, right now, if I'm looking at the football they're playing, I think during the season, Liverpool have been playing better and City have been playing better. But I'm talking about recent form right now. Arsenal playing the best football based on that performance. They are playing the best football, but I would say like the teams that they are coming up against are kind of just handing it to them on a plate. I know Arsenal are playing very well. You've got to give them their props. I'm not saying they're not, but I would like to see what happens when they come up against like um, a team on form or something at the moment because all the teams that they've that they've battered in the last five games have all been teams bang out of form, every well, single one of them. Next up, Sheffield United. So. <laughs> <laughs> you can keep that one going for another week. Yeah, exactly. So just rinse and repeat this uh, review for the next, next week. But let's go on to the Sunday game, which was Wolves 1, Sheffield United 0 at Molyneux. Both of us going for 3. Well, no. Sim went for 1-0 against uh, Sim with the five-pointer. I went for 3-0. And uh, this was a strange game because I felt Wolves uh, came out the blocks quite fast and uh, Pedro Neto was putting Sheffield United under a bit of pressure. But then Sheffield United started to come back in the game and I felt Wolves kind of just scored one out of the blue, really. And uh, then the second half, Sheffield United were probably the better team, to be honest. Uh, and I think it was unlucky for them not to get back in the game. Yeah, I actually didn't watch the second half because obviously the Carabao Cup final was on in the second half. So I didn't really catch yeah. it. I was watching the first half, though. And uh, I have to say... Yeah, Wolves dominated, but Sheffield United did have some some really good openings. Yeah. Uh, Brewster went for on goal. Uh, Makati went for on goal, and uh, they fluffed their they fluffed their chances. So they'll be really annoyed they didn't um, they didn't make use of those. Wilder was a bit annoyed. In fact, the Sheffield United players were fighting with each other at one point yeah. in the first half, and VAR had to make a review of that. But um, the ref yeah. was like, uh, the uh, commentator at the time was like, oh, the manager will love seeing that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he, I think he said after the game he didn't mind it. But um, obviously, they ate Nuri with a really great cross. Sarabia got the goal. And the probably it was probably reward for the for their dominance. And then second half, I didn't really watch it, but I've, I've seen a few of the highlights. Sheffield United did seem to be on top and could have got back in the game. Wolves seemed to like retreat a bit for some reason. You expect in that kind of game state with them with Sheffield United chasing the game, you'd think that would suit Wolves. You know, getting getting more space, but for some reason they kind they kind of play within themselves a bit. And another day, Sheffield United could have equalised, and that would have been very disappointing. But Wolves did get the victory. Um, wasn't the best game wasn't the best performance but um, good victory for Wolves and up into ninth at the moment so yeah. I mean I mean that they can't complain at all I think Sheffield United will take a bit of heart from that display to be honest with the form that Wolves have been on but they need points essentially at this point yeah and, heart, heart um, ain't going to do much for them exactly at this point. <laughs> heart ain't going to do nothing for them so Looking at the table now, it looks as though Burnley, Sheffield United are gone, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, well, they have been for some time, probably. Well, well with, with Everton now um, having their points deduction reduced, that now means that uh, Burnley and Sheffield United are now nine, uh, 11 points, sorry, 11 points away from Nottingham Forest. So I think at this point, they are down. At least with Everton there, even though Everton were probably not going to get relegated, at least the gap's like seven, which is you know not double digits essentially now it's 11 points uh i think there's no way back uh luton still got an outside shot only four points behind forest but with forest potentially hitting getting also a uh, point deduction but burnley and sheffield united the writing's got to be on the wall but if yeah. i'm them if i'm their owners if you've gone this far and you haven't attacked the managers you might as well just keep them on because you know burnley aren't getting any better than company he can get them back up if he stays and wilder wilder knows what how it is to get yeah, he just took up. the job wilder so I don't see them getting sacked, to be honest, because 
if the owners haven't realised they're getting they're going down, I mean it's a bit little too little too late. Yeah, but also on the other hand, the owners haven't done enough to keep those clubs in the Premier League. Those mm. squads are championship squads. They're not no they didn't prep themselves for the Premier League whatsoever. And I know you'll probably say Luton maybe didn't either, but at least Luton brought in a Ross Barkley uh players that are adept to the Premier League. Who do Burnley and Sheffield United have? They got no one. Yeah, but it's not always names. It's about, you know, look at Brentford when they came up. You know, they didn't exactly have star-studded squad they as well. They still had like Ivan Tony and yeah, Bremo, but these he players. wasn't a Premier League player before he became He wasn't like, a player, I mean? but they're Premier League quality. He they is are now Premier because he did it. But we don't, we don't know that till we're in the Prem. So, um, yeah, you I agree. Do more. You I agree. Do they're, more. Not, they're not good enough. And that showed. I think we said it at the beginning of the season as well, especially Sheffield United. They sold their like best two players coming yeah. into this season. Burnley, I expected them to really give it a better fight. Uh, I think it's been very disappointing because I think we were expecting... Uh, not not maybe mid table, but at least you know fourteen, fifteen, something like that. Like at least p- give it a good go, and they just have completely fallen flat on their faces, to be honest. Yeah. And last but not least, West Ham four, Brentford two, um, a battering at the London Stadium. Both of us going for three one to Brentford, and Jared Bowen scoring a hat. Was it a first half hat trick for Jared Bowen? Say no, the second uh, one was uh, in the second or third one. Third sorry. one was in the second half, but uh, West Ham ba- back into form. I mean, they've been absolutely shocking over the past four or five weeks and um, they absolutely destroyed uh, Brentford to be honest for the most part of that game yeah Brentford got a couple of goals but I was quite impressed with um, West Ham to be honest and the the calls from the West Ham fans in the ground was Bowen for England and I think he should be called up with the form that he has been showing Uh, but Brentford on the other hand they are in there are banging trouble now they really are. I think it's 10 defeats in 12 games for yeah. them, which is, as much as I've been praising them recently, because I actually do think they've been playing fairly well in recent games, they're not getting the points and they keep getting defeats. This was a big game for them because it was their first opportunity not playing like a big side, like a City yeah. or a you know a Spurs or a Liverpool and to really show that, yes, we're playing well, but we can actually pick up wins and they didn't. <laughs> and they were 2-0 of, down after 10 yeah, minutes. Yeah, that's got to be really frustrating. In fact, Thomas Frank after the game said the performance was un- unacceptable and that he doesn't usually say like he's usually quite a positive person and he was very critical of Brentford you know, said we lost fair and square um, and especially with Everton's uh, points uh, reduction um, that's put them bang in trouble right in the firing line now so they 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 got to be very well I still think they'll be alright I still think they'll be uh, good enough to beat the drop but definitely they got to fight for every point now because they're, they're, ba- they're going to be they are bang in trouble right now what I would say is West Ham completely came flying out of the blocks I think they were tuning up after five minutes it was ridiculous uh, they completely uh, came flying out of the blocks but after that, I did think from then on it was was a bit of an even game. Brentford got a goal back quite uh, early on, a quite re, uh, a more pie scored off within fifteen minutes. Then uh, Bowen late in the second half makes it three one, um, and then they made it four one with an absolute worldie from Emerson from like four thirty five yards. What a goal that was! Got and then uh, Brentford pulled one back at four two, and they had chances to make it four three. And if they did, maybe it would have been a scary last few minutes for West Ham. So I don't think it was completely a battering. I thought Brentford after those first five minutes um, were really in the game, but you can't go 2-0 down after five minutes. I think that's what cost them at the end of the day and they got completely punished for that. So I think also for West Ham's point of view, it was actually a really big game because I believe there were some banners against David Moyes um, before the game. And, you know, with the the form they're on, the pressure he's under, it was a really, really 
big, big game for him. They needed to win that game. Like it wasn't yeah. an option. So it looks like they've pulled out the bag for him. Um, and obviously he said, oh, he came out of the game very bullish. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. I still think, in my opinion, it'll be best for West Ham if they part ways with him on a, a, after the season. But looks like Moyes, apparently he's had a job offer, a contract offer, and he's still milling over it. Uh, he's still clearly, um, I think, maybe wanting to stay. We'll have to see. Yeah, like you said, West Ham desperately needed that after the run of form they've been on. Uh, Moyes always seems to pull it out of the bag when they're uh, when he's like on the cusp, doesn't he? Especially when the fans revolt. Because how many times uh, have the fans yeah, been like, on the brink of revolting against Moyes? Pull out like, so many times, and every time he he seems to pull it out of the bag. But um, in terms of that third relegation spot, you got Brentford, Forest, and Luton all fighting out for there. Do you think it's Luton going to be the ones to go? Because I can't tell you any like out of those three teams, someone that's definitely going down. No, I think Luton are the most likely. Well, what I would say is if if Forest do get a points deduction, depends how much that is, but I think they've got a good chance. I just look at Forest and I look at Alanga, Awioni, Morgan Gibbs White. I just think they've got too much there. Like when I'm comparing them to Luton, Luton are playing out their skin right now just to cling on to safety. You know what I mean? They're overperforming massively. I'm looking at them. They're playing really well. Barkley's having a season of his life. Adebayo is playing unbelievably. He's on a rich vein of form. Alfie Doughty's creating loads of chance on the left. They're playing really well and they're still only 18th. You know what I mean? They're, they're literally playing out their skin and they're still not quite out of the relegation zone. So that tells me that unless they can even do more than that, they're going to go down. And I don't think, I don't know if they are capable of that. So it could, be, it could come up against uh, the games between these kind of clubs. I'm just trying to look when Luton play them. They've got Palace away next weekend. They play Forest at home in a couple of weeks' time. Now that could be a massive I don't know. Game. I, f- I feel like Brentford and Forest are going to be able to pick up more points to Luton regardless of those games. I think in other I mean, games Brentford they will. Two wins in the last 15 games or whatever it is. It's two, there's there are 10 losses in 12. It's yeah. bad. It's bad. But I, I look at the way they play and I still, even like against West Ham, I thought they were in that game for large parts. I know they, they end up losing. I think... I think they'll be okay. I think, again, they've got like Ivan Tony uh, back and he's playing well. I think when push comes to shove, they're going to be able to pick up the points. I just don't know if Luton will be. And I think it will be those three at the end. Mm, fair enough. Uh, but that is that. We go on to the star men, Simhad Mateta, who scored a penalty on, in a 3-0 Palace win. I had Rasmus Hoyland as my turn to have the no-show of the star man. He got injured a couple of days before the game. Um, and if he would have played, he definitely would have bagged I'm a couple sure, of goals sure for sure. Yeah. But um, look, we finish off on, is that the actual score? That is the actual score. 308 to 300. Can't quite believe it, can you? No, I thought you were winning by more, to be honest. But uh, You were nine points ahead before the three. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, three points in it going in to another round of fixtures this weekend, a full round of fixtures to contend with. And uh, we'll be back on Thursday to give you our predictions. So thank you, everyone, for joining us today. And we'll see you next time.